0: okay welcome to episode 13 of the gritty leaders club and today ben and i are going to be talking about can sport teach business so ben how are you i'm really good thanks ian good so before we get into the big topic of the day ben what have you been noticing
1: recently the thing that caught my eye or ear perhaps is is dave Grohl of nirvana and foo fighters fame 40 million albums, or is it 50 million now? Uh, Part of two bands that have changed popular music forever. The guy who creates supergroups, and I've always been interested. He strikes me as someone who has kept his head when others around him didn't in very dramatic ways. But what what caught my attention is something Dave Grohl said. Get this, get this Mm. quote. That's one of the great things about music. You can sing a song to eighty-five thousand people, and they'll sing it back for eighty-five thousand different reasons.
0: <laughs> lovely,
1: lovely. Isn't that lovely? And isn't that what we hope happens in a business?
0: Yeah, it's
1: it's art, isn't it? It's like uh, it's like a, a great quote or yeah. a poem or a, a, a painting. Yeah, I heard it for the first time. It stuck. You can sing a song to 85,000 people and they'll sing it back for 85,000 different reasons. That's that's really cool. And so are you a fan of uh, Dave Grohl's music? Yeah, I'll listen to Nirvana time to time, Foo Fighters quite often. Well, wow, cool. Learning more about you, Ben. Ian, what's got your attention? Well, I was going to
0: start fairly simply today. I was just going to tell a story, actually. And, and it fits kind of into our subject area here. It's a story that in 1998, in a cafe in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. a certain Richie McCaw walked in with his uncle. Richie McCaw, for those who don't know, is regarded as one of the all-time best rugby union players. And he walked in to this cafe, aged 18, and they sat down at a table, and he was a reasonably good rugby player at that point. And his uncle said to him, So you want to be an All Black, don't you? Which, of course, everyone in New Zealand wants to be an All Black, if you're you're a bloke. And and he said, yeah. And he said, so here's a napkin. Write down the steps you've got to take to become an All Black. So he did. He wrote down 99, under-19s, 2001, the Colts, 2003, get into the A-Team. And after the World Cup in 2003, when a lot of people leave, I could get into the All Blacks in 2004. So he wrote that down on a napkin and he kept it. But before that meeting came to a conclusion in this cafe, his uncle said to him, Richie, you don't want to be an all black. You want to be a great all black. <laughs> and Richie McCaw is an introvert. There's a great program, a biography about him on, on Netflix, which I've been watching. And he's a, he's an introvert. He's a, admits he's an introvert. He doesn't like the limelight. And he said, he said he was too embarrassed to write great all black on the napkin. So he wrote G-A-B. And he kept that napkin. And so what happened? What's the story? Well, he actually became an All Black in 2001. So three years before he said he was going to, which tells us something about writing down our goals and all the things that we do with leaders in business, Ben. Yeah, Dare to Dream. Dare to Dream. And so 2001, he became an All Black. And in his very first game against Ireland, He won man of the match. Wow. He went on to not only play for the All Blacks, but to captain the All Blacks. He played for for them 148 times, 148 tests, of which the All Blacks only lost 15. So some, some guys retired now, but extraordinary person, very humble, very determined, very resilient wanted to prove himself on the pitch and one of the interesting things he did you'll see it in the documentary if anyone watches it is before every game every test he had a notebook and he'd sit down in his room and he'd pick his notebook up and he'd make some notes about how he was going to show up on the pitch and he'd write things like have presence stand big Mm -hmm. look people in the eye shake the hand of the referee before we start have good conversations with the referee about what we're doing, get into tackles early, show my teammates how committed I am. And he used to write a list. And towards the end, the last few things he'd write were enjoy, and then he'd always write the last thing, G-A-B. <laughs> and Brilliant. I thought it was a fantastic story. And I, and I just thought it's, it's so relevant to business too. So I thought it would kind of kick us off.
1: Well, it does, doesn't it? And right there, we see how much further planning can be taken than ordinarily it is.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Not just how are we going to play this game? How am I going to show up? How am I going to walk onto the pitch? And I'm going to shake hands with the referee, have a good conversation with the ref, and so on. That's that's a whole new layer and another layer again probably of planning compared to many of the others yeah absolutely and one of the other interesting things about McCaw is he's a straight A
0: student he's a really clever guy he really studies the game knows all the laws which change constantly always figured out you know how could we make the most of playing knowing where the laws are of the game not to cheat but to push right up to the level in rugby, which, have, you know, in these competitive sports and this is something that maybe we'll get into doesn't overlap too much in business because you don't want to be cheating in business, but you do want to know what the laws
1: are. Sure. And we want to play to our limits and constantly expand that perimeter, that expand that limit.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Great.
1: Great. So on to topic, I guess, can sport teach business? Yeah. Where should we start then? Well, I, I was thinking, is this even a good question, Ian? Because sports is so different, isn't it? Yeah. So different. And the owner of the team, the manager as well, but the owner of the team ultimately, they can decide which players are played, who's on the team. They can cut a player at any time. They can change players, transfer them in, transfer them out at any time. Uh, hire and fire the manager Mm with a couple of days notice that's very different and then you know the goal is always to compete right the goal is compete win it's not growth Mm -hmm. it's not some other purpose Uh, it's not transformation for example these you know these goals that we get in business it's simple right it's to compete it's to win so if it's so different is it wishful thinking that business will learn a lot from sport
0: yeah you're absolutely right and uh, you know I've gone off and thought in the same way and and I've looked at the things where sport can't teach us very much and you know sport is mainly as Simon Sinek would say in his latest book finite bars rather than infinite and we're endangering businesses of thinking we run finite businesses and have where we can win and lose where you know we win the competition lose and that just doesn't happen you know we just get better so it's very different in that way as you said we, we've got uh People can get hired and fired. We've got length of career, which tends to be very short in sport. One of the things Richard Richard McCaw always said is he felt he was almost waiting for his life to start, which is interesting when this guy was so – so incredibly good at rugby. But he knew by the time he came to his mid-30s, you know, pretty much that was going to be pretty much over. The last thing I thought about sport, where it doesn't fit with business, but then I thought, no, this is actually a reason why it, we can learn a lot from it in business, is sport tends to be, and I don't know what the stats are, I'm sure somebody somebody's can tell me, it tends to be rapid bursts of energy and activity where you're competing against other teams or another person, if you're an an individual sportsman and huge amounts of preparation, just huge amounts of preparation. And in business, I think we can learn a lot from that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Way too little preparation goes on in business, I, I think. But there's another point in there. Something I did the, the other day, Ian, you might spot it, I began to change some of my personal positioning. It, it, quite often it's, it says performance coaching. Mm-hmm. And I've begun shifting that to use the word optimum. Mm-hmm. And I think that's appearing a lot in sports now. Yes, we have these moments of peak performance, when the races run, when the Olympics happen. And in between so much effort goes now into into preparation mm. and that's expanding into the optimal performance of the of the athlete are they well slept well nourished how's their physiology and all the rest of it actually their journey isn't about peak performance it's about optimal performance mm. which supports moments of peak performance yeah and i think you're right in in business How often do we see a business that is demanding peak performance after peak performance after peak performance after peak performance of its people? Uh, uh, That's right. And I think, you know,
0: sport can teach us a huge amount in this area about if you look at elite sport. And I think in the main, we're probably talking about elite sport where we can learn from them. And. When you look at, for example, rugby players, I believe, started it. It may have been uh, another sport before, but that's where I first saw it. These wearable GPS trackers, I don't know if you've noticed them, but the footballers wear them as well, and they have them just in the back of their shirt. And the data analysts sit on the side, and they can monitor how people are doing in a game and on the practice field. And then they can make personal profiles about, for instance, in a rugby field, when people are hitting a tackle and they go down, how quick do they get up? What's hmm. their recovery rate? And then from things like that, they can do personalized strength training. And so they be, what they do is they can start to create real personalized training and preparation per person. And I wonder, you know, those sorts of stats about looking at our key people. And really knowing them and really knowing how to create personalized training and education and development programs for them. Are we a little bit ad hoc in businesses?
1: Yeah, I I agree. And I'd even flip that. It's not just the business's responsibility. Actually, we'd like our people to be showing up, having asked themselves, hey, am I performing optimally as a leader? Am I performing optimally in whatever my role happens to be? Yeah. Okay, so data. Respecting the data is, is a title I dropped out for later. Circling back a bit, I also arrived at it's elite sport, not sport, that we're going to learn from. I think sport offers a learning opportunity in another way. And this is something I wish I'd done when I was younger. I wish I had played a team sport. Mm-hmm. Everyone should play a team sport to learn about teams. Yeah. But then elite sports and what did i say just now the goal is to compete the goal is to win it's not growth it's not purpose it's not transformation except when it comes to elite sport and we look at the all blacks we look at mercedes in formula one right now they're not aiming to win the race they're not even aiming to win the championship they're aiming to create A sustained period of being at the front of their support which everyone else says is dominance yeah but those teams they are thinking long term they are thinking beyond
0: yeah yeah you're absolutely right and i've mentioned it before you know if you come into many of the elite teams around the world they're doing you know tactical and strategic very well you know they're sitting down and they're saying what is our vision? So in Mercedes, it would be to, you know, win the Constructors' Championship long-term. It would be to be the dominant player. And then in the short term, it would be, how do we get a car for next season? And how do we get the best driver and so on? Yeah. And, and yeah. then you break all that down even more minutely. And, and that's no different, of course, from a, a great business who sits there and say, where do we want to be in five years? And what are we going to do next year? And having both of those uh, in, in in sequence. I think the thing we're we're kind of focusing a lot more in the sort of the data and the preparation and the training, which you've started to bring up, which is, which is so useful. Is this understanding, this greater understanding and from that understanding, we start to develop better people, better teams, more success.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll go there next. Let's dive into that, shall we? And um, I mean, I said earlier, respect the data. And we've been talking a bit about data. Mm -hmm. Is that where we go next? I mean, teams are gathering so much data now about everything, whether it's recording the match from 20 angles around the stadium so that we can play back each moment from whichever angle we need to, to understand it fully, and then we can debrief and we can learn from that, or it's all of the data that's collected from a formula one car or it's you know one of the the benefits i think that sport has got is you know how how many matches are played in football through a year how, are you asking me yeah
0: oh in, in the premier league far too many i would say i can't remember how many are in the premier i don't yeah. follow the premier league that much let's say they play yeah, they, too many. I mean, they may say they play 60. I don't know, but it depends how many how many cups they're in, cup competitions. What they would say in sport, actually, is... Uh, sorry, in football, specifically, and actually, if you look at rugby, because it's such a commercial enterprise, is they play too many sports. Therefore, they're wearing people out too much.
1: Yeah. But that point aside, that's what 20, 30, 40 opportunities during the year, which they will look at, in detail and they'll ask, How did we perform? Yeah. What could we do better? How can we improve 20, 30, 40 times during the year? Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, I completely agree. It, it, it's 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 absolutely phenomenally useful to them because then they can build up that level of data about how people are performing, what they need, who they need to bring in.
1: Yeah. So are we taking the same opportunity in business? I think is A good first question. After every sales meeting, for example, and each sales journey, are we asking, hey, what happened? How did it go? How did we win? How did we lose? How did we do it? And what can we change up? For a leader, every leadership team meeting or every offsite, hey, how did we do?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: How can we change it up? What worked? What hasn't? Yeah. No,
0: absolutely. I mean, there are some, you know, I, I, I've mentioned Toyota before, and, and they use a thing called PDCA, which, again, I might have mentioned in a previous podcast, plan, do, check, act. And yeah. plan, plan, do, check, act, of course, the last two stages of that, and this is a process they use all the time, which is check and act, is, is looking back on how it went. And, and they say, you know, what went well and what went wrong. And this is a standard practice for them every time they do something. And then the final, the act stage is, so what do we need to change as a result of that? And I often think, you know, it sometimes takes a simple process of that you need to adopt as an organization to, to, to review properly. Otherwise, the speed of movement in organizations, you know, or what are they, what's, the, what's the quote? You know, you need to snow, slow down to speed up. And, and the danger is that you walk away from a pitch, you walk away from a meeting, and you, you've planned the next meeting uh, either at the same time you finish the last one or 15 minutes later.
1: We don't plan enough to prepare and to review. I agree. Toyota call it, what was it? A PDCA. PDCA, and, and that's very close to Kolb's experiential learning cycle. If we sit down in a, a psychology course and we look at how humans learn it's experiential concrete experience followed by reflective observation conceptualization active experimentation and then concrete experience again and teams are doing this all the time
0: Mm -hmm. yeah completely all the time all the time all the time and 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 it provides elite sports teams as they were this level of detail i know if you look at any of these elite sport teams I've, I've uh, read about, seen on Netflix and so on, is the game is on a, a Saturday or a Sunday and the data analysts will set to work the following day. And it will be, be a full day of analysing the whole game, analysing how the opposition played, how they reacted, which is another area to look at in, in, in perhaps comparing business to, to sport, how we react within the play you know where where we where we go into a pitch and we thought there were six people there there are three where where they wanted us to speak for two hours we've got half an hour etc and and sports people plan for these things a lot so the analysis is done to a massive depth before then the team come back in the room say on the monday or the tuesday and they start looking at what happened in detail
1: yeah, okay. And it's not all after the event either, is it? Teams, they practice for the tough situations and they practice in advance. And you know, how many times does Red Bull practice a Formula One pit stop? Mm. Hundreds, mm. hundreds of times. And and of course they're practicing a, a ton of things. And and as you say, they they practice for tough situations, they anticipate what might go wrong, what might be different, what are the variables, and they practice for each of those. And where do they practice? They practice on the practice pitch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's called that for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. For me, this is another key key lesson for business. Do we prepare in the most realistic ways possible? Absolutely. And, yeah, you know, the practice piece,
0: y- y- you've got to think, if you look at elite sportsmen who we all look at, I mean, life's about, as we know, life in business, life life generally is about, I believe, as one CEO said to me, making the most of what we've got. You know, right. are we fulfilling our own potential? And you can look across sport and you can see people who I believe absolutely filled all their potential. And it wasn't because they were necessarily, quote unquote, enormously talented but they could and they might have, they i think at elite level they've got to have a an amount of that but it's the it's the ten thousand hours popularized by malcolm gladwell which you've got to put in and if you look at any of these guys one of the people that springs to mind is johnny wilkinson who was you know famous person who kicked the drop goal in the rugby world cup 2003 to win it against australia and he was, and he came down the road from where I lived, down in Farnham. That's where he grew up. And regularly, when the whole team went home, Johnny took 50 balls out on the pitch. And he, from every angle, would kick a, a, a goal right from one side of the pitch to the other side of the pitch. And his routine was, I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but he used to say, right, I'm going to kick, and it was either 10 or 20 goals. And he would start kicking those goals. And when he didn't get one over, the clock started again. The number started again. So if he got to 19 and he missed the 20th, back to one. This relentless discipline to be the best through practice I think we can learn enormously from that. It's like, you know, the closest I can think of it recently in business is me doing a TEDx a couple of years ago. And I must have rehearsed that. And of course, I could have done it better. I'm always my biggest critic. But I must have rehearsed that 30 times with no script, walking through the woods with my dog, talking to myself,
1: looking like an idiot. But practice, practice, practice. Great. And that's a discipline we want to see. But back to that, practice pitch I love seeing this in business I love to see sales teams in the office in a room practicing their pitch to a realistic audience frequently like this should be almost a, you know, a fortnightly activity practice 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 and it should be real so if that's going on I will go and distract one of them two minutes before it starts. Yeah. Uh, I will call them in the middle. I'll set off the fire alarm. (laughs) You know, all of these things that are going to go wrong in real life situations. And I've reminded myself, and this really is getting away from business or sport, but I remember my dad teaching me to drive. Mm -hmm. And I was getting pretty good. This was not long before my test. And we set off. And uh, I remember this clearly. My dad, who is mild-mannered, he started this argument with me. Mm-hmm. No, totally <laughs> unreasonable argument with me. And for the 45 minutes of the lesson, he kept this going. I, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> it, it's so out of character. And then we turned back in to the road where we lived, and he said, Oh, well done, Ben. Just wanted to see how you drive. When you're emotional, (laughs) the whole thing was staged. And, but, prepare by practicing in the most realistic ways possible. So, how do our sales teams perform when something has gone wrong? Uh, We're selling virtually now. And I know many of our audience, they figured it out. They know how to do big, important strategic deals virtually without meeting have they practiced what happens when their internet connection goes down do they know what's going to happen when their five-year-old walks into the the room and how Mm -hmm. they're going to respond to that make it real and so why is it Ben why do you think I mean you know
0: we've worked with some great organizations startups bigger organizations why is it that some practice 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 and, and, and you could say they probably still don't practice enough and others Almost never occurs to them. You know, there's a kind of, they're almost like, oh, we've got a pitch tomorrow. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to rehearse tonight. You know, it's not thought through. It's not part of the process. Why is it? What stops businesses
1: doing enough of that? Do you think? I think it's the individuals and it's it's fear of ridicule. I'm not going to stand up in front of everyone else and do my elevator pitch because hey, I'm going to fluff this. So fear, fear of ridicule mm-hmm. is one. And of course, what's the remedy to that? It's trust, vulnerability-based trust in the culture of the business. So ultimately, it, it's a lack uh, of that. Also, it's that point earlier. Mm. Are we aiming for optimum performance and no. making time, You know, making it a normal part of our approach to make time, to do these things, yeah. For, for example, I've I've written my personal plan for twenty twenty one. Nice. One of my points on this is twenty percent of my time spent on learning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things you touched on there was setting the fire alarm off, distracting people, creating an argument where they're supposed to be driving a car, which are all ways of sort of building up our our resilience and and I think that's something we we haven't touched on but it's just reminded me I think in sport because it's so open I said when we were reviewing the books I think one of the books I got for Christmas was about Gareth Southgate and Gareth Southgate started as a footballer as most of them do one of the famous things Gareth Southgate was known for was in 1996 England played in the semi-finals of the European Cup I I think it was and they went to penalties against Germany. And in those days, bizarrely, going back to our earlier conversation, they didn't really practice penalties very much and yeah. all the regular penalty takers had taken the penalties and it now came to the sixth person in the team to take the next penalty. And Gareth Southgate said, well, I'll, you know, I'll take the penalty. Even though he wasn't a regular penalty taker, he said, I'll take responsibility, I'll have a go, I'll take a penalty. Anyway, he got incredibly nervous, as he said. He stepped up, he just sort of hit the thing and it was saved. Germany then scored and it knocked them out. And he said that was a pivotal point in building his resilience because he had failed. And it was viewed as failure. And I, I always think you've got to build people up to understand that failure is normal. And I think in sport, people fail a lot because if you win or you lose and you're definitely, unless you're the All-Plex, you are the all Blacks, you do not fail very often, but in sports, you're always going to fail. You're either going to fail on yeah. the practice ground because you're not up to scratch. You're going to fail in the game on the weekend. Or with all this data we've talked about, even you might personally fail and the team win because they can analyze how well you've done. And that builds up this resilience, which makes us stronger the next time we come back.
1: Yeah, great point. And uh, of course, we've talked about this. One of our most downloaded podcasts is Failure is Not an Option, a few weeks ago. And I've thought about that since. And I didn't have this back then, but I do now that actually I'm I'm beginning to stop even calling it failure i think what's actually happening there is not that we're failing often we're testing often
0: yeah yeah great catch i, I agree it's a mistake because of course if we use that terminology in business it's a very ne- it's a very negative terminology and, and and we don't want that terminology we, we want to talk about people trying and not delivering as well as they could be delivering and it goes back to your point about 20% learning every year it goes back to the fact that we've got to be testing ourselves in new situations and improving and and that comes out of preparation and it comes out of then going and doing it looking at yourself critically and saying could I've done that better and getting feedback you know this feedback loop that is huge in sport how much of that Really, do we do we do we do in business that is useful? Because again, we can
1: we can learn more from that. Not enough is the answer, and you know, respect the data. This is something that comes out in lots of ways from sport. We talked about the data generated from from each game, each race, and how the strategists and the teams and the players make use of that to learn. what What's going on in business, though? Are we sitting down and in a data-driven way with real data, accurate data, asking simple questions like, which of our customers are our profitable customers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of the time when I sit down with with a leader and ask them to sort their customers into the profitable ones and the unprofitable ones and then we get the the finance team in finance director and we ask for the data on it almost every time there's a massive difference Mm -hmm. and it's one of those situations where our gut feel doesn't necessarily serve us well and what are the reasons people buy Are we going out to our customers and potential customers and those that didn't become customers and in an objective way, asking and finding the real reasons they buy? And then when we've got that data, are we actually acting upon it? Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Other things, do we or don't we represent our community in the diversity of our team? Yeah. I mean, that's an easy one to check, right? Yeah, absolutely. Dead easy. But very good point. Very
0: good point. And you see it, of course, you go to uh, football at any level or rugby at any level, and pretty much they are representing the community Mm and who's on the pitch. You you see that pretty, pretty clearly. I wouldn't be able to comment on it for every sport, but certainly in the ones I follow, cricket, the big team sports, and to your point about playing team sports, I played all three of those when I was a kid. And I, I did
1: learn a lot, but yeah, I think in those three sports you see a real cross
0: section of the of, of the community.
1: Well, at least amongst the the players, I think there's yeah. been a lot of headline about the the wider organisation and the yeah the coaches. But yeah, absolutely amongst the players, and yeah, you know, I suppose what this comes down to in sports is an elite team or an elite athlete. They're pretty relentless about constantly going back to the basics the fundamentals and revisiting and renewing and updating mm. their understanding of of those and we need to do that in business as well yeah i agree a couple of other things
0: i started to think about when we're, when we're planning this pod and, and one was adapting adapting as you go along adapting and asking the right questions and i think yep. If we look at, so if we look at, again, going rugby, because I tend to be a bit obsessed with looking at rugby, I find it fascinating. Not that I ever played the game, which is interesting. But if you look at rugby, there is a, a phrase used by psychologists, and this is another thing that sport, elite sport, does very well. They bring in different specialists to advise them. And one of these terms that they've used, and Clive Woodward used it, the All Blacks use it a different way, is thinking clearly under pressure. Teacup. Teacup, absolutely. And uh, that's exactly how Woodward describes it. And one of the things they worked out was, you know, how long it takes to score a try if you're if you're losing. And it, it worked out as it was, it was two minutes, bit of data analysis, and then the process to do that. When you tell people that, suddenly the pressure goes off. Because the danger is you go into the last 15 minutes of a game or 10 minutes of a game, you see the clock ticking and you think, we, you know, we could lose. And I think the same goes to business. You know, you've got the last two months of a year. Are you still going to try and work as hard in the same way you've worked for the last 10 months, or are you going to start to adapt under pressure and start to do things differently? I think an example of adapting under pressure, which came to mind when I was thinking about this, is in the pandemic, the pharmaceutical companies had to develop a vaccine and are history of developing vaccines was five years plus and suddenly we asked different questions we put people under pressure we said we've got an urgent requirement and suddenly people adapted people changed people threw the rule book out the window and started to do things quickly uh, and I think we can learn lots and that's kind of learning slightly from the pandemic where we've done it in business if you like but in sports, that happens an awful lot
1: yeah i think they're constantly closing the gap aren't they between their performance their levels of performance and their potential
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: and psychology it's a whole other podcast isn't it yeah yeah more than one i'm reading right now perform under pressure kerry evans you mentioned the other day how Toto Wolf at Mercedes Formula One had looked to the all-blacks, and this is what he found. Oh. It's a model about changing the way you feel and think under pressure. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. We need to come back to it. And you mentioned the last two months of the year, and we're into the last few minutes of the podcast, Ian. And so as I gather my my thoughts, we've hit some good points there. But another is... Just looking at sports, it can challenge some of the things we assume about business. You know, just reflecting on that that list a bit. Yeah, okay. So careers are short in sports, and there's a high turnover of people, and that's really different to to business. But isn't it good to remember the potential of youth mm. in business, mm-hmm. yeah. and that we could have Olympic performers in our business, aged? 23 for example
0: uh, i think that's right and we at our peril don't bring people in who are young stars sports does that brilliantly you know as the as the story i told about richie McCaw shows us and they they recognize people who who are stars in the making they they go out i mean if you think about sports teams they have scouts
1: absolutely they're scouting for talent yeah they're scouting for talent you know why aren't we doing that in business good
0: businesses are yeah, well, quite, quite, you know, we're waiting for a, for a gap to occur
1: and saying we need to fill it. Well, yeah, and yeah, we do that so often, don't we? And we we shouldn't be waiting for the, the gap to occur. We shouldn't be tolerating the bottom 10% of performers in the business. We should be proactively dealing with those so that either their performance and engagement lifts up or they've left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Always work for good levers, but we should be doing that. And, but also, you look at one of the big, big consulting and accounting firms, and I forget which one, they require, I think, their partners to leave after 10 years of being a partner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and what does that do? Well, one, it protects a little bit against burnouts, although we might argue that it encourages it because what do they do? They go all in for 10 years. But that point aside, it creates space. Yeah. and throughput in the business. So are we thinking hard enough actually about the things we should be doing to get a throughput of talent and new talent in and talent here when it's at its best mm. in our businesses? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really key point. And I guess the final one I'd like to throw in
0: is showing emotion and celebrating success. Mm-hmm. I think you can't help, and, you know, football's been criticised recently in the pandemic of, you know, lots of cuddles after you score a goal. And, and quite rightly, you know, they should be keeping the distance a bit more. But it just shows you how hard it is when you've got that raw emotion of scoring a goal, turning around, and your teammates, you know, want to give you a hug. And, you know, we're really bad at that On, in the main in business, you know, we, we we win a piece of business, we have a great month and not enough of us are going around, you know, ringing the bell or handing out the champagne or, or, or just sitting people down and saying, you've done a fabulous job on this. And if you keep doing that, you know, you're gonna be an absolute star in this business. And I, I think we tend to move on a bit too quickly in business and go on to the next thing.
1: I totally agree. And I've thought about emotion in in another way. And what did I say at the beginning? In sport, the goal is to compete to win and in business, it's growth, it's purpose, it's transformation, it's these, these sorts of things. But ever so often in business and in parts of the business, all we hear about is growth and competition. Mm. When actually the real goal, at least really important part of it is to amaze and delight our customers. Mm -hmm. And are we talking about that enough as well? Are we letting emotion Mm. in, you know, in fact, which are the emotionless parts of our business?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Great question as always. So anything Uh, else you want to throw into this mix, Ben, before we wrap it up?
1: Hey, I think we've, we've covered some good ground. We could, we could do a whole other podcast on other things we could explore here. Anything else just maybe to circle back to this idea about optimizing performance rather than peak performance? I think that's a great question for, for any one of us. Mm. Am I approaching what I do in an optimum way that supports me to have moments of peak performance, but am I approaching things in an optimal way? Mm. And in the business, is that true? And it kind of leads you to ask a a lot of things. One of the quirky questions I like to ask is, hey, your team, is your team getting enough sleep? Or Mm. have you got an underslept team? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's just a quirky way of getting to are we setting ourselves up for an optimal performance? How yeah. about you, Ian? I've got nothing else particularly to add. I think it's
0: been really interesting to do you know, some of the research and thinking about this, because I, I think my, my take has always been, and this has been useful for me to sort of consolidate my thinking, is that we can learn an awful lot of, from, especially from elite sport, And as you said, from from team sport in particular, there's all you know, there's a a lot we probably again haven't haven't discussed a bit like psychology, which could be another podcast on how how great teams work as teams, how they bring in people to work with them and, and, and bring that team together and spend real time together getting to know each other. And we do a lot of work. As we know, with with teams in businesses trying to do that, but again, you can't substitute FaceTime at the top of an organisation. Really getting to know each other, breaking down those barriers, being vulnerable, building trust, and then starting to get performance. So there's a there's a whole piece there, perhaps that you know we can go into in a lot more depth as well. But no, I've, I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed this chat.
1: You're right. We've done dream or dream team haven't we that was a good podcast but we've not done teams so let's add add it to the list absolutely i hope the listeners have enjoyed this Uh, thank you for listening wrap us up Ian. well that's been another gritty leaders podcast from ben and ian i hope you have enjoyed it in a couple of
0: weeks time we'll be sitting down to record the next one which is going to be about what do great leaders do so i hope you can join us then in the meantime have a great couple of weeks bye